0: Let's pray as we come to open up God's Word together. Lord, as we sit under your Word this morning, please turn our hearts to your decrees. Please open up our eyes that we can meditate on wonderful things from your Word. Please please give us undivided minds to fear and honour you. And please, Father, satisfy us with your faithful love and grow our joy. For your name's sake, we pray. Amen. Just check my slides are coming up okay. Just swap me around. Awesome. Thank you. I want to start with a a question for you to think about. Uh, What does the average Christian look like? what does the average christian look like if we were to take every bible believing christian on the planet and put them all together in a, in a randomized kind of way and then pluck one, a, one of them out what using statistics and probability what would they most likely look like what does the average christian look like if you if you like if if you if you like me and you you sort of you, you, you come from a similar cultural background to me, then, then maybe your initial reaction is, ah, oh, they're probably, probably fairly pasty, and uh, they probably speak some version of English. But actually, international research shows us a, a very different story. Actually, they're statistically most likely to look either Chinese or South American. I don't know whether that surprises you or not, Well, think about this, you and I belong to a Middle Eastern religion. You and I follow a Middle Eastern king. We we daily submit ourselves to his wishes for for us and our lives. We don't think about that very often. It's not usually how we would describe ourselves. See, Christianity, from its very roots, from its very core, broke into and across cultural barriers in a way that no other world religion ever has done. The the New Testament itself wasn't written in Hebrew or Aramaic, the languages of just the the Jewish people. It was written in Greek, which was the, the common trade language. It was the one language that pretty much everyone knew. So it was written to be accessed by everyone. There's a, a church building that has attempted to uh, visually display this kind of uh, cultural diversity. It's called the, the Church of the Annunciation. And uh, it's built in, in Nazareth, in Jesus' hometown. And what they did was they filled this church's courtyard with mosaic pictures uh, asking representatives from different countries all around the world to, uh, to do a version of uh, Mary and uh, baby Jesus. And uh, sort of all beginning with the, the kind of iconic renaissance looking sort of uh, uh, painting that we might be familiar with. And then they were to do it through, through their cultural lens. And um, uh, given that it was Mary and baby Jesus, yes, you can guess, uh, it is a Catholic church. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the, these beautiful works of art in, in that courtyard do, do tell us something important about the nature of Christianity. and something important even about the nature of the gospel itself. Uh, Let let me show you uh, a a few of them. Uh, They'll come up a little bit bigger on the screen. Here we go. Uh, So that's the one representing Nazareth uh, itself. Uh, There's Italy, probably something that sort of looks more more familiar to us still. Uh, Ecuador, I'm going very fast, you can look them up online later. Ireland, Indonesia. China these are all Mary and baby Jesus Scotland Korea Thailand Vietnam and Japan uh, there's there's heaps more I could show you more um, what do you think what 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 thoughts come to mind when you you look at all of those pictures that at least a bunch of them look foreign to you. Look like it doesn't have much to do with your life experience or your Jesus. Here's what I think of when I I look at those pictures. Uh, I think of this, that the gospel assumes and embraces and celebrates diversity. What does the average Christian look like? It's meant to be a hard question to answer. It's meant to be hard to figure out because the, the gospel uh, is, uh, has both a, a vertical impact and a horizontal impact. A vertical impact between person and God, horizontal impact between person and person. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 2 uh, verse 11 to 22 and we, we read a bit more to get some more context. Uh, we're, we're skipping over one of the passages in our sermon series. Uh, next week, we're taking a break from our series uh, with our celebration service, and so then we'll be back in sync with uh, our, our sermons and our Connect Group uh, passages. That's where we are today, Ephesians chapter 2, 11 to 22, and uh, we are going to think a little bit about the, the context uh, of that verse as well. Uh, so as I say, we're con- continuing our, oh, I missed oh, miss South Africa. There's one more for you. We're continuing our We Are Church series. And today we're going to see from Ephesians that we are saved to be Jesus' church, to be diverse, to be united in Him, and to be a a foretaste. By the power of Jesus' cross, we become His church, diverse, united, and a foretaste. So, firstly, diverse. We are saved to be Jesus' church, diverse across every barrier. As I've mentioned, the context for our passage is the first half of chapter 2, and uh, that's one of those those fantastic, rich passages that Paul has given us in Scripture, and it's all really about the vertical impact of the gospel, uh, uh, connection with God. Let's have just a little snapshot at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. This is the vertical impact of the gospel, that Jesus' death and resurrection resurrects spiritually dead people and reunites us with our creator God. And so it is so certain, our future is so certain, that it's as if we're in heaven with him even now. It's what we might say a great gospel summary. And then most of us have a new heading just before verse 11 in our Bibles. And so we look at that and we might think Paul's done with his gospel summary and he's moving on to something else. And you'll see the first word of verse 11 is a therefore. Therefore. And we know what we have to do when we see that, right? You've got to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? And the pun is always intended as well. And so that's what we're going to do. What's the therefore, therefore? It is there to tell us that we've been been hearing from Paul the vertical impact, but there is also a horizontal impact of the gospel as well. We are still on gospel core stuff here. So let's pick it up at verse 11. Up to this point, Paul has been addressing the Ephesian church as a whole, probably a group of churches in that region, in that area. We know this from Acts 19 and 20. He was involved in the establishment of this church years earlier. And this church is a mixed bag of Jewish background believers and Gentile Greek background believers, Gentile non-Jews. And so he's been talking to them as a whole. He's addressed them as a church and told them about every spiritual blessing in the heavens that you all have equally. And we've been thinking about that as a, as a church in our sermon series and our connect groups, uh, diving into the detail of what that every spiritual blessing is. And it is amazing, isn't it? And now, strangely, he, he turns to to address the the Gentile believers amongst them, to single them out from the Jews. The Jews are sort of at this point listening in as this letter is read out in their church and the Gentile background believers are addressed. He tells them that before being included in God's covenant people, they were without much. They were uncircumcised. They didn't share the visual identification that they were part of God's chosen people. They were not citizens of God's people. They were foreigners and strangers to God's great promises of blessing. They were without hope. Without hope because they were without God. As you read those verses, what a shockingly bleak picture that is. Excluded. No hope. His point is that for the Gentiles, there's a kind of double exclusion. He's fully aware and has taught just previously in the verses beforehand that uh, all human beings are alienated from God because of sin, but the Gentiles before Jesus were, were doubly alienated because they were also disconnected from God's covenant people. How many of us have had that experience of uh, that terrible moment when your high school sports teacher decides to set up teams by choosing two team captains who's been there before? Do I have any knowing heads? A few of them. And so the captains go back and forth, picking one, picking one, picking one, picking one, until there's just, well, until there's just me, if I'm being honest. The last kid, being chubby and nerdy, standing there about to be picked. But here's the thing about being picked, right? Like, to pick something, you need to have a choice. So if there is no choice, then you can't actually be picked. It, it actually, at that point, what it becomes is a, is a game of, of, uh, of odds and evens where the captains are going back and forth to see who they can get to force to have to take that last one that hasn't been picked. And that was me. I'm okay now. I'm a big boy now. <laughs> I have definitely moved on from my Year 8 sports class. You don't need to worry about me. But exclusion does hurt, doesn't it? Every single one of us in different areas of our life, at some time, we can think of a time where we have, have felt excluded. It hurts because I think it's quite hope-crushing. And Paul's point, he says, my fellow Gentile background believers, you were once excluded without hope because you were different to Israel. You were not Israel, you were not Jews. But verse 13, now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you were once excluded, you have been brought near. You are in. You have been picked. You have been chosen. Jesus' church is diverse. And it's diverse across something as, as deep and as significant as, as culture. So if it's as diverse across something that significant and that deep, it is also diverse across every other barrier you could think of. That's who we're saved to be. Jesus' church diverse across every barrier. Now we start to see the horizontal impact of the gospel. Jesus' gospel not only creates that connection between us and God, but it creates a connection between each other as believers. In Jesus, there is inclusion. Inclusion in the covenant promises of God. Inclusion in every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Inclusion in... into community inclusion, into the family of God. And so our church communities should reflect this inclusion, shouldn't they? We should look like the oddest bunch of people around. We should look like a bunch of people that it's clear that the only possible way that we would all be together and all be in this weird family thing is something supernatural is holding us all together we should look weird, because the gospel excludes no one. Jesus excludes no one. It doesn't matter your skin color, it doesn't matter your hair color, it doesn't matter the language you speak, the age you are, how rough your family is around the edges, how bad your backstory is, how little or how much money you have, how skilled or unskilled you are, it does not matter, because no one is is excluded from Jesus. And we have something of this diversity in our church family, don't we? We can think of many examples of of how different we all are in this church family. But I think this, this passage calls us, challenges us, encourages us to desire more people not like me and not like you. Do you desire more young? Do you desire more old? Do you desire more nationalities? Do you desire more cultural backgrounds? Do you desire more white collar? Do you desire more blue collar? Do you desire more marriage? Do you desire more kids? Do you desire more single? Do you desire more poor? Do you desire more diversity in our church family? And maybe even especially more with messy, broken stories. And do we as a church celebrate diversity? Do you know those different to you? Do you know their name? And then do you know more? Do you know more of their story? Do you go out of your way to speak to them? Do we tolerate or, or actually seek to, to love those who we just don't really get and we don't click easily? Do you focus your your care and your support on on two or three people in your connect group who you just just naturally get along with? Or, Or do you seek to care and support that person in your connect group who you find kind of awkward to relate to? We are saved to be Jesus' church, diverse across every barrier. And we're united. We are saved to be Jesus' church, united in him. Have a look at verse 14 with me. For he himself is our peace, Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law and his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Two phrases I want to focus on in, in this section. The first is this, the dividing wall of hostility. Through, through, this, through his act of dying on the cross, Jesus destroyed something. He destroyed a, a barrier. A dividing wall of hostility. That's that's strong language. It's a description of the relationship between Jews and non Jews, Gentiles. It's a description of the, the relational dynamic. And it even had a, a very physical uh, symbol in their time. So there was an actual physical dividing wall, and uh, and it was around the temple. And so the temple in Jesus' day had, had all these different areas, different layers of access. And so let me, uh, let me show you a quick picture here. Uh, there is the temple and there's that sort of big open space that doesn't look like... You can see the temple in the middle there and there's a big open space. That big open space is the, the court of the Gentiles. And I'll zoom in on the, the temple a bit more. So you can see the, the Gentiles' courtyard and then the, the front area is the, the, the women's courtyard. And then... Past that's where the Jewish men are allowed to go, and then it's the priests, and then it's the Holy of Holies where only the high priest goes once a year when they do all the correct procedure to show that they are fearing God. And so there's all these layers of access, and you can see, you can actually see the wall. Can you see the dividing wall for the Gentiles' courtyard? It's really... They called all of this the temple, but really the dividing wall is kind of... It's around the temple, isn't it? And um, archaeologists have found signs that were placed where the, the gates and the openings in that, that wall were. And, uh, and here's one of them. Uh, you can uh, see it in a museum. And uh, here's the translation. No foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Different version of the welcome sign. <laughs> See, a non-Jew going past that point in the temple was such a big deal that the Romans actually gave the Jewish leaders authority to execute. Do you remember why Jesus was brought before Pilate, the, the Roman governor? Because the Jews weren't allowed to kill anyone; they, they, they couldn't enact the, the death penalty. But this was the exception. You, you wander on in to their temple. And you've got only yourself to blame for your death. And the Romans won't even do anything about it. Paul is no doubt very aware of this hostility because he's writing this letter to the Ephesians from jail. And he's in jail because he hung out with an Ephesian uh, named Trophimus, who happened to be a Gentile. And you read about it in Acts 21. Uh, He'd been spending time with him and and Paul went into the, the, the temple and then people saw him again out and about with Trophimus and the, the Jews got enraged and thought he must have taken this Gentile into our temple and he gets a full-on riot in his honour and gets uh, arrested. Um, and so he's in jail because he associates with a whole heap of non-Jews and he deeply holds to the truth that the gospel unites both Jew and non-Jew into one and removes any sense of superiority. Because that's, that's what this is. It's superiority. It's, it's cultural pride and outright racism. By this stage in history, the, the picture of, of Israel as God's special chosen people who could be a light out to the nation so that people could come and meet God, that picture is long gone. What remains is a, is a warped, twisted, cultural superiority. One last quote to, um, uh, to help sort of complete the picture, to help you realize how radical Paul's words here uh, were and are, and how radical the gospel is. Some work by a, by a theologian uh, doing some research into the history of the relationship between Jew and Gentile. Here we go. The Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he had made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. Again, in the sense of the, the dividing wall of hostility. Yeah. And that is the kind of hostility... That isn't broken by human willpower. It's it's broken by Jesus' death on the cross that destroyed and put to death that hostility. In Jesus, hostility, impossible hostility, gives way to peace. And exclusion gives way to reconciliation in Jesus. The second phrase I want us to notice is in verse 15. That's not verse 15. Have a look with me in your Bibles. By setting aside the f- uh, in his flesh the law and his commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Jesus' purpose in breaking down any sense of cultural superiority, any sense of barrier between diverse people. Breaking all of that down, his purpose was to create one new humanity. One new humanity. I mean, this is huge. You can't really overstate this. This is how we become truly human. This is how we become the the people that God created you and I to be. Because Jesus is the ultimate human. He's the human that we're all called to be, but can't be. He perfectly kept all of of God's regulations, all of God's instructions on life, the, the law. He perfectly kept it all. He lived according to God's good design for this world. And so when people are in Christ, when we are with him, his life becomes attributed to us. And his death becomes for for our uh, offence, our our prideful redefining of good and evil on our terms, our rebellion, our our selfishness, our, our complete brokenness. His death becomes for the sin of that person in Christ. And his resurrection secures a future hope of new life forever. And so the person in Christ becomes part of the new humanity. Or to say it another way, they become part of the church. That's what he's talking about here. We are saved to be Jesus' church, united in him. And to be a part of a church is to align our life with the direction of human history that God is bringing about. You know how sometimes you realize that there are certain things that are just not meant to be? Uh, Here's another story for you which helps explain a little bit about my previous story to you a moment ago. Uh, This is, I'll tell you about the day I decided that team sports and I are not meant to be. School sport again, forced to play soccer. And so I decide to hang right back down and, and hope that my team was good enough that the ball stays up there and never really comes down our end. I was wrong. It did. It, was, it came flying down our end. And, and in, a, in a sheer carpe diem moment where I thought, this is my chance to seize the day and boot that thing back down there and be the hero of the team, I go for the swing and I don't, I can't even explain what happened with my foot or body. The ball comes off at this strange angle and flies straight into my goal. (laughs) There was no team unity that day. (laughs) That is the day that I decided that team sports and I are not meant to be. And on the one hand, diverse people united together it isn't meant to be. We can't do it. Diverse and united, it isn't meant to be. We naturally prefer our tribe and our people and and those who are like us and those who accept us because we're similar. We cluster, we click. But on the other hand, diverse and united, that's exactly who we're meant to be. That's God's plan for us. That's what we're destined to be, a new humanity made possible by Jesus. I wonder, what did you, what did you think about when I read that quote about how the Jews felt about the Gentiles? Far removed from time and, and those cultures... It's easy for us to feel the ugliness of other people's mistakes. But what form does, does your superiority take? Do you look down on those whose, whose first language is not English? Is your generation better than the older ones? Crack jokes about old-fashioned and outdated. Is your generation better than the younger ones? Perpetuate the line that can't be relied upon or hold down a job. Oh, the good old days are gone. Is your fashion better than hers? Are your sports skills better than his? Is your school better than that one? Are your ideas better than theirs? Is your job more important, more meaningful? You're more successful. Is your music taste better than them? Is Australia smarter than the rest of the world for how we've handled COVID? Do you mock Christians and churches different to you? Crack jokes about the penty with the hand in the air? Is your cultural background better? Superiority festers in our hearts very easily. And it's, it's pride in my tribe. People in my likeness are the best kinds of people. That's not the new human Jesus saved you to be. He saved you to be the kind of human who mimics his work, who breaks down barriers, not builds them up. We are saved to be Jesus' church, united in him. And So we celebrate diversity and we, we bond over the one thing that we are not diverse in, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Lastly, that makes us a foretaste. We are saved to be Jesus' church, a visual foretaste of the new creation. Have a look at verse 19 with me. Having said all he just said, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too were being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So he says, as a a consequence of this unity and diversity, created by Jesus' work on the cross, as a consequence of that, the Ephesian church members, regardless of their their cultural heritage and background, they are now citizens. They are now God's people. All of them, whoever they are. They are members of God's house. They are the building, the, the temple of God. And this includes us today, 21st century Gentiles too. I'm assuming most of us don't have Jewish heritage, although some of us might. Paul is telling us that, that Christian, those of us who call Jesus Lord and Saviour, we're in him, Christian. We are church. You are not an individual who attends a church. You are not even just part of a church. You, collectively, are BBC. We are church. To ask, can a Christian be a Christian and not go to church, is like asking, can a fish be a fish and not swim in water? The gospel impacts vertically and horizontally. Paul does not want us to miss it. You might ask, why is membership so important? Why is it something that just seems to keep coming up in the life of our church? Membership, membership, be a member. It's because it is spiritually risky to not be a member of a church. It's spiritually risky. The church is the visual model of the gospel. Again, to be part of a church is to align ourselves with the direction that human history is going under God. The Apostle John was given a a great glimpse of this future in Revelation. Revelation 7 verse 9. After this I looked and there before me was was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. It is a picture of God's people, of God's church at the end of this age, the beginning of the new creation where we see Jesus in all of his glory and we enjoy him forever and it's people from every nation, tribe and tongue together. We are saved to be Jesus' church, to be a visual foretaste of that new creation. And so we should look diverse and there should be people from every corner of the planet in churches around the world singing Jesus' praises as they trust him as Lord and Saviour. I only discovered this morning, thanks to a, an email a newsletter that, that I'm uh, subscribed to, that today is International uh, Day for the Unreached. Unreached uh, uh, peoples make up one-third of the population of the planet. One-third of us human beings uh, uh, live in an unreached people group. And that is that they will not hear about Jesus. They have not and they will not hear about him and they will not hear his gospel unless someone from a culture different to theirs crosses barriers and goes to them lives with them, learns their culture and tells them about Jesus. Today is a great day to pray for those who, humanly speaking, right now, have no chance of hearing about Jesus. Do you remember the uh, the food samples you used to get in Coles? It, that you used to... Uh, I, I, it was a long time ago now, I'm trying to remember when, but... Somebody would set up a, a rep for a particular company and they would have a little electric fry pan usually and they'd be frying something up. As a kid, this was like the jackpot. And so I would, I would hover around this person and just sort of like lap back and forth down the aisle that they're at the end of, hoping to uh, just get that eye contact and get the kind of the, the green light that I could have another sample of that, that small tiny piece of sausage or whatever it was that they were cooking up and selling. And uh, it's gone now. COVID probably killed that one pretty good. Um, But why did they do that? It's because sometimes when you give someone a sample, it's helpful for people to decide if they want to buy into the whole thing. And so they do that because they hope that you will walk away having bought the whole thing. I remember the glorious day that I tried a sample and liked it, and my mum actually bought a packet of what it was that they were selling. It was very exciting. The church is meant to be a sample. We are meant to give a, a glimpse of the new creation so that as people come and say, hey, what's that sample? Under God, they might go, I like that. And they might buy into the whole thing. Do we do that? Do, do we show a, a picture to the world that makes them go, oh, I want what you've got? Are we in the language of the passage are we rising to become a holy temple to the Lord or do we complain and grumble and tear each other down sometimes Are you genuinely glad when you when when someone else in church enjoys something that you really didn't you can't stand repetitive songs But the person next to you is just loving reflecting on that chorus again and again and again. Rejoice in that. You can't stand old hymns, but the person next to you just came alive singing it. Rejoice in that. You wish things were more formal and more traditional but your grandchild really enjoyed the the casual, laid-back feel of the service. Rejoice in that. There is no place in a diverse, unified church for us to be the champion of our own team, to, to be the voice to stand up for and to represent my tribe to represent your your age group or your gender or your family status or your whatever. We are to champion not the cause of our tribe but the cause of Jesus, his diverse and and unified church in him. And so if we're going to champion a cause or stand up for someone who we believe needs a voice, please don't make it someone that is like you. Let somebody else do that one if it's needed. I pray that we in BBC and the global church to which we belong to would be like those little supermarket samples, that people notice the sample, come for a closer look and end up buying into the whole thing. Because Jesus' church is diverse across every barrier. It's united in him and it's a foretaste of the new creation. A couple of lines, uh, just in closing, uh, from a, a song by Casting Crowns. It was the rhythm of the dances that gave the poets life. It was the spirit of the poets that gave the soldiers strength to fight. It was the fire of the young ones, it was the wisdom of the old, it was the story of the poor man that needed to be told. I wonder today, who's who's someone different to you that you could get to know their story, that you could learn from or that you could celebrate? Maybe it's somebody sitting nearby right now. Let me pray. Lord God, you have broken down every barrier between us and you. And so we thank you that globally your church is hugely diverse because you came for all people. Please grow our global unity under you. Please strengthen our ability to be a foretaste of the new creation. And please work in us here in BBC to increasingly together be your church, diverse and united in you. And particularly, Lord, we we think of that vision of the new creation. We lift up to you right now the people around this planet, the one third of us human beings who need someone to go cross barriers, learn from them their culture, and then to tell them about you. We pray that in your mercy and in your kindness and in your sovereignty, that would happen for your, your fame, for your glory, and for those people's joy from, ne- from now until eternity in you. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. I invite the music team back up.